Hi, I'm Julia Whalen. I am an audiobook narrator and a writer and an actor, and I like tea. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Hey there, book gang. When I shared our last episode on the best audiobooks for your reading life, I really could not have ever imagined introducing today's episode with one of my favorite audiobook narrators. I promise that this was pure happenstance. I was not bragging about her book and how much I loved it because I thought she was going to be on the show. It just ended up aligning that way, and I could not be more excited to introduce today's guest, audiobook narrator and author, Julia Whalen. Now, if you listen to audiobooks, her voice should be a pretty familiar one. Julia Whalen is the award-winning narrator voice on over 500 titles. That's not all, though. She's also a screenwriter, lifelong actor, and she garnered a Society of Voice Arts Award for her debut, My Oxford Year. To date, we discuss her romance novel, Thank You for Listening, that will hit store shelves on August 2nd. Thank You for Listening is an uplifting book telling the story of a former actress turned successful audiobook narrator who has lost sight of her dreams after a tragic accident and her journey of self-discovery, love, and acceptance when she agrees to narrate one last romance novel. As I shared last week, shenanigans do ensue, a love triangle is made, and the character grows, which can be all fun plot points for any romance lover. This book really, truly, truly is wonderful. I had given it five stars, and it's not every day that I get to talk to a five-star novelist, so I am excited about that. This brings a dishy insider look at Julia's day job as an audiobook narrator. There are small details like an audiobook narrator's prep work and snack routines that were elements for me that I found really fascinating and wanted to learn more about. We're also discussing some of those trade secrets that she included, like pseudonyms for audiobooks when working in the romance industry in particular. Today, we discuss Julia's proudest moments in her career, which I love to end every conversation with, what she learned by slowing down on her audiobook projects, and what she would tell her younger self about her wildly successful career path. Are you new here? Welcome to the Book Gang Podcast. My name is Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com. Book Gang is all about those debuts, under-the-radar book choices, and helping you expand your stack with backlist book selections. You are listening to episode number 40, an interview with Julia Whalen. If you like this podcast and want to show your love for my show, please join my bookish community. I really need your support to continue funding my work. The Book Gang is a completely independent podcast that relies upon listeners to fund. I'm really grateful for all the people that chip in $5 to make these episodes possible every month. As a thank you for your support, you do receive an exclusive fully booked podcast filled with new release books, a monthly reading guide with what to find on your store shelves, 
book club author interviews, a monthly music playlist, and so much more. To learn more, head to patreon.com backslash momadvice. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash momadvice. Reviewing and sharing the show, of course, on your social channels really helps my new podcast grow too. Just a quick reminder, everything that we talk about on every episode of Booking can be found in the link in our show notes. Okay, I think I've set this one up enough. I can't wait to share this time with Julia Whalen and you. Booking, I am really excited because this is just kind of crazy. I had been talking about your book. Thank you for listening, Julia, last yeah. week on an audiobook episode that we just shot and had no idea that the week following I would be sitting down and talking to you about your book, which is so, so exciting. I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I love I love when that all comes together. Well, I want to admit to you, which feels, you know, kind of embarrassing, but also I just want to be honest, that you were my best friend during the pandemic. I listened to your voice. There were not very Aww. many people around during that time, but you were one of the regular people in my life. And I am so thankful for your voice and what you add to my book experience. And I know that when I talk about how much I love you, that so many of us feel similarly about your work. That is so nice. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Before we get started, I love to have authors describe in their own words what their book is about. So tell us a little bit about Thank You For Listening and why people should be picking it up. Okay, so Thank You For Listening is set in my beloved audiobook world, and it is about a former actress turned audiobook narrator um, who will record anything except romance. Uh, she has her own reasons for this. She had a pretty tragic accident that caused her to not really buy what romance is selling this happily ever after nonsense as far as she's concerned. <laughs> um, but she gets an offer to record the last novel of a legendary romance novelist who just died. And the money is kind of too good to turn down because she's trying to take care of her elderly grandmother. So she does it. Um, and in the process of recording this series, she gets to know her co-narrator, and they're only exchanging texts and emails, but in getting to create a relationship with him, she starts thinking that maybe romance novels aren't as ridiculous as she thought. And if she can figure out how to um, get over her past and accept herself as she is now, uh, if she can learn to take a risk, maybe she really can have it all. I love it. And, you know, it made me think about your career in general. Obviously, this is kind of a dishy look at what you do with audiobooks. <laughs> we get to peek behind the curtains. And the aspect of being a reluctant romance audiobook narrator was a really fun exploration. And I'm wondering if you could relate to that in any way. Yeah, no, I, I the, the difference is, I mean, I actually love romance, and I'm a romance reader. Um, I will say that there is absolutely a difference between reading romance for enjoyment and pleasure and having to do it as a job. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it can sometimes, as I think one of the characters says, some days you're just not in the mood for happily ever after. Um, and so I, I, while I love the genre and I, um, I don't have that hang up that the main character has, uh, it's still a job. It's a job. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to do my job. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't either. So I, I get that. Right. I mean, <laughs> your 
pulling back the Oz curtain a bit on on audiobook narration. And one of the opening scenes where she's taken on this project is taking her through a preparation process. So in your book, you go through this checklist that she's doing, which is wordless, finding pronunciations, identifying emotional arc, marking breath points, you know, all of these things. And she's mapping out relationships between characters and developing voice and accents. And I'm curious how much of this is just mimicking your own process and what on your checklist has proven to be the most challenging in your day-to-day life. That's a good question. So yes, that is very much my process. I think it's generally speaking, most narrators processes, my prep (laughs) reads are pretty extensive. um, And I'm making all of that happen. Obviously, each book is different. So each book requires different things. Um, But for me, I would say that, again, depending on the book, but sometimes the the word lists and pronunciations, uh, if they're copious, um, require a lot of research, which is, you know, kind of time I don't know I will necessarily have to spend until I get in and start prepping a book. So that's the most unwieldy just because I it's very hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, the character stuff is obviously probably the most fun. Um, but again, can be challenging if it's a an accent I'm not familiar with, or I'm trying to like create the cast in my head and how I want to present them to the listener. Yeah, that sounds like it would be challenging. I know I used to do community theater, and I'm thinking about how much I thought about every script that got presented to me and how I really wanted to embody that. So I think what you do is so interesting because it's like having a play of one person all the time, which is enormously challenging. It is. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a definitely a a one person show. Um and that's where it's different from obviously acting that you know, I think a lot of narrators come in through the acting door where actors and like the first thing you learn is what happens when you're just acting with yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What is that? So much of acting uh, is kind of rooted in that idea of you're in a community and it's collaborative and listen to your scene partner, listen and respond, listen and respond. And when you're trying to kind of do that with yourself, um, that's why I don't like to over prep scenes, like over rehearse scenes. I want to have the book prepped so that I'm completely clear on what I'm doing when I go in. But I like to just kind of run through a scene if possible so that I do try to get that like kind of organic response um, from characters, depending on how something comes out, the way I say something and then the way I respond. And, you know, we try to like mimic that process, I think, but. Yeah. Well, you know, being a mom is kind of like a one person play because no no one listens to me and I talk to myself so I can relate in a small way. I'm just thinking about that kind of sounds like my daily life actually, but I'm just not in a sound booth being paid for it. I just, (laughs) it's, it's, you know, God's work, just, you know, just getting a lot of attitude for it. Great. Great. (laughs) I love it. Well, in your book, readers are introduced to like, honestly, one of the best stage names, Brock McKnight. And he's working on a project, (laughs) which honestly, were you laughing when you made this name? Because it is like, just kind of the funniest name. I was laughing. And I don't even remember how I came up with it or where I came up with it. I just remember sometime around I think early 2020, uh, before everything shut down, I was having lunch with this is going to sound like a name drop, but it's it's it does pertain, I swear, I was having lunch with Taylor Jenkins Reid. And I was telling her about this idea and, and that I was, you know, working my way through a draft of this book. And 
she said, uh, she said, what's his name? And I said, Brock McKnight. <laughs> and she just was like, oh, perfect. Done. Done. <laughs> like, it's going to be amazing. I, yeah, he's he's a legend already. Like, as soon really? as I said it, even last week on the episode, I was like, and his name is Brock McKnight. And I, like, I mean, it's just legendary in it's itself. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously, he's not using his real name because he has you know, wanted to keep his privacy a little bit. And there is a moment in your book where you're kind of talking about the explicit nature of these books makes people need to use pseudonyms at one point. And one particular sentence that I had highlighted was, it was an industry norm and everyone had his or her own reasons for doing so, but like a society of magicians, they were all sworn to secrecy. So I'm wondering if you are worried about breaking the rules of Fight Club by illustrating this in your story. Um, I am okay. I'm not only because it is very widely known, and especially in the romance community, um, especially in the romance audio community, it's very understood that narrators often record under multiple names, the same way authors write under multiple names. So I'm, I don't feel that I'm talking about something that uh, no one's ever talked about before. They don't know exists. I think if anything, part of what I'm trying to do in the book, and then also anytime I do an interview, and I can back this up is to really try to explain to people that, um, like I said, we all have our own reasons for doing it. And some are, uh, some are just business. Some are, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like to have different branding the same way an author has different brands or the, I record children's books and I don't want kids to necessarily find their way into this type of novel, uh, at least for a couple decades. And then some people have very legitimate personal reasons for doing it. You know, they live in conservative communities. They don't want their kids mm-hmm. bullied at school. Um, for me, when I was recording a lot under an alias, I had, because I was a child actor, um, I had some uncomfortable fan, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of stalkerish situations. And I didn't want these people to be able to hear me recording this content, reading this content to them. So everyone has their own reasons. And it's just something that we try to clarify to fans that it's really not cool to mm. out people on, you know, social media, on websites, sometimes fans think that they're doing other fans a service by saying, oh, well, if you like this narrator, you know, they record under this name too. And you can, you can listen to them. And I understand that um, impulse, but we have very specific reasons for doing it this way. And some narrators are very out about their, very open about their pseudonyms, um, but some aren't. And so just be, be conscientious when talking about this. That's the only thing I ask of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I would not have thought about the privacy issue. It actually wasn't something that I had even considered. Obviously, you're a household name. When I brought your name up in the book club that we were going to have you on, you know, hundreds of people are liking this post because everyone is talking about how much they love you. But there is an element, I'm sure, where you do have to deal with fans and trying to figure out your own privacy and what you feel comfortable with. And as you had said, kind of the way you started the interview, like, you know, that my ear, you know, my voice was in your ear at those times. And, and it is a very intimate medium. It just is. It's a it's human to human. It's really connective. And um, those lines can get blurred uh, very mm-hmm. easily. And as someone who has dealt with fandoms in the past and, you know, in on camera, 
I'm just very, very wary. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not comfortable. That's just my own personal story. Everyone else, like I said, has their own, but, um, yeah, I think if you think about it more like privacy, um, and, and it's no shame toward the, toward the genre. It's really not like I, I wish there are certain books that I had done under an alias that I wish I could go back and have done under mine because I love them and I, I want to own them. Um, but it's, uh, it just, it made me too nervous and uncomfortable at that time. I didn't want those people in my life. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. want to echo that I hear you and that I am going to be much more aware of that. I think that this book has provided a little bit of a glimpse into what the everyday life would look like for an audiobook narrator. You know, the romance is great, but that aspect for me was really interesting because I do interact with audiobooks every single day. And there are a lot of elements about that process that I had not really thought through. And so for me, the pseudonym aspect was really interesting. I don't actually listen to a ton of romance on audiobook. I tend to read that secretly in bed with my <laughs> tea. But I, I do love that you are able to have some element of privacy by using a different name. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, with you always, you always run the risk of there aren't going to be people that are going to respect that. And, you know, I mean, you, there's a certain hazard to that, but that's okay. Like all of that is, all of that is fine. It's just um, in, in trying to explain, I mean, this is, this goes back to like the larger kind of challenge I had in writing this book is the whole career of audiobook narration doesn't really exist in media. Um, so it's not like there's a TV show about audiobook narrators. And so people understand the basics of how it works. That just doesn't exist. And I kind of had to like build in what I thought were kind of the, the founding principles of this career to help people understand what was happening. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure I missed things and I'm <laughs> sure it's, uh, they probably created more confusion than answers in some situations, but I'm more than happy to, this is, this is one of those things where like, I'm really, really happy to talk about it and to try to explain it further to listeners. Have you had the opportunity to share your book with other audiobook narrators yet and, and yes. get their opinion on how you fleshed out their career too? Yeah, I didn't really, um, I didn't talk about it much as I was writing, except with like a couple of my very close audiobook friends. But there have been a handful of people who have read it at different stages. And, you know, I finally had one really, really dear narrator friend of mine when I was starting to kind of spiral and panic a little bit about like, I don't want this to be representative. Like, I, I, I'm worried that this is going to be considered like the definitive thing about audiobook narrators. And mm. she was like, you're not responsible for that. She mm. just said, like, this is your view of this industry. And it's your view of your career put through the lens of fiction, which I kind of write about in the essay that's at the back of the book. And that helped so much where I didn't feel like I was carrying the, I don't know, the whole community or something on my shoulders. And, you know, and luckily, um, like Erin Mallon, who has written, she writes, they're so funny if these walls could talk, um, these like satirical audiobooks, well, they're audio plays about recording audio romance and she has great people in them. And it's, I really, really recommend that to anyone who wants to laugh about audiobook romance. They're just great. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, on a lighter note, there are some other dishy aspects regarding green apples that I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so 
In one of the scenes, the fridge at the studio where they're working is filled with green apples, and it's such a staple that they all even propose getting apple tattoos. So can you tell us why this is such an essential snack for audiobook narrators? No one knows. No one knows. I mean, maybe some science, maybe there's some actual science behind this, but it is just a truism that if you go into any recording studio, they will have green apples. Um, it's something about the acidity. It's something about the tannins. I don't know exactly what it does, but it just vacuums up all of the cotton mouth, you know, clicky mouth noise. We, I, I don't know. I stopped questioning it. It's just a gift. Well, I will tell you that I started doing a green apple snack after reading this before I recorded for my podcast. And I'm like, it does work. I don't know why, but it works. And I have to ask her about it. So I'm really excited that you're like giving us a little peek. Are there any other snacks that you recommend before audiobooks are eating you know, or it's schedule more about, with that? It, I think it's more about what, what I don't recommend. Like there's always a list of like <laughs> forbidden foods and different things affect people differently. I, you know, I think that like, for me, my main my main hurdle is always stomach grumbles and nothing works better than a bowl of oatmeal to overcome that. Mm. But, um, but that's, that's really it. Otherwise it's like, I don't do dairy. I don't do, you know, chocolate. I don't do alcohol, obviously. Like there's just certain things that are, um, if I really want to be as clear as possible, I'm not, I'm not inviting in. Well, I will admit that a couple of my author interviews, I get really scared before I'm going to do the interview with them and I don't eat. And there's nothing more distracting than hearing your own stomach in your headphones. <laughs> and it's so distracting. And I'm like, can they hear it? And then it makes you really self-conscious when you're talking to someone and all you're hearing is like your stomach grumbling. <laughs> I've always just had, I've also just always had a very loud stomach in college when you get like up to senior year and your seminars get super small. I remember being in a seminar with like, four people and one of them was my best friend and my stomach was growling so loud that at a certain point she's like just pushing me away she's laughing so hard and you can't hide there's four people and the, the professor was finally like Jules do you want to go get some food and I was like I'm so sorry <laughs> um I was like yeah let me just eat a granola bar in front of you sorry just give me a minute <laughs> I love it yeah well, I know that a lot of people contemplate audiobook narration, but in past interviews, you shared something about how to figure out whether or not audiobook life is for you. And you had suggested reading a book alone in your closet because that is what it feels like to do your job. And you also expressed that at times it can feel a little lonely and isolating. But in our book, we get these spicy romance scenes where the two audiobook narrators are reading together. So I'm curious, have you ever done a spicy audiobook scene with another narrator? Or is this just like an imagined idea for your characters? Um, I have not. The only duet narration I've ever done has actually been not with a male narrator and not romance. So like uh, there was one that uh, I did. I did a couple of scenes with Andy Arndt in Lauren Blakely's book. Um, and then Aaron Mallon again wrote a... Uh, an audio play um, where it was a bunch of us all Skyping in at the same time um, recording together. So I have never done duet narration. It's actually something I want to do because uh, I feel like of all the things, how have I not done this? Uh, but so I haven't done it for a, a romance novel. When I've done romance novels before, they're dual narration, which means alternating perspectives. Mm. Um, so I don't actually record with the other narrator. 
You know, that's interesting because I do feel like more of that is happening in the books that I read with thrillers and with romance, where there is that, you know, just switching of viewpoints instead of it being, you know, meshed together. So I could yeah. see why recording separately probably works best for most people. It's a lot easier. I mean, it's a lot easier and it's more budget friendly. And, you know, I mean, when you're dealing with actually getting people together in a studio, um, coordinating those schedules, it's it's more cumbersome, it's more complicated. And I think that's why you don't see it as much. Um, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of indie romance authors, though, who will do it because they are they are diehards and they like, they will make it happen. I love it. Well, on Instagram, you shared this post as if this book weren't meta enough. Now I'm making the audiobook for this book about audiobook narrators making an audiobook. <laughs> and I'm curious, <laughs> is it harder or easier to narrate your own books versus the writing of someone else? It's 100% harder. With my first book, my Oxford year, I almost didn't recover. It was so hard. Like I really did really? not enjoy that process. Um, this one was much better, but even then it's like, I, I was surprised at how, you know, my part of my editorial process is reading aloud. I think that's how you find clunker sentences. I think that's how you figure out pacing. Like it's just very important to me, but there was still something different about sitting in the booth performing it. And once I was doing that, it was just hitting differently. Like it was, I could see suddenly all of the extra layers of, you know, the, the very self-aware audio part of it that I had not totally Mm. understood in the writing of it. Yeah. I, I would imagine reading your own work out loud is very vulnerable feeling to do that in a studio and like hear yourself, like echoing back the things that you've written down. It is. I mean, it's also that and that's like true for kind of everybody. I mean, I I direct audiobooks sometimes or or articles. And even when you're working with an author of like a memoir or even a self-help book or something, I always try to prepare them for like, this actually is a um, this is going to be an experience for you. Like, I know Mm -hmm. you read the book and I know you wrote the book and I know editors have given you notes on the book and you're probably sick of the book at this point. But there is just something different about reading it in your own voice, knowing people are going to hear it. It's a, it, it, it adds a layer. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Well, I want to talk a little bit just briefly about work-life balance because it's something that I struggle with. And yeah, I was going to say, I was like, what is that? Our... <laughs> yeah. I... <laughs> so I, I do know though, that when I was doing some research that you had originally been narrating like 70 to 80 books a year. Yeah. But you decided to slow down your annual pace down to around 30, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, why did you feel the need? Is it because of work-life balance with narration commitments? Was it to create more space for writing? Were you feeling out of balance? Because I feel out of balance all the time. And I'm wondering how you were doing that pace before. And are you kind of like reflecting back on that pace? I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Yes. And and unfortunately, that's kind of industry norm for when you are, you know, a working full time narrator, like you kind of have to do that many books to keep your head above water. Um, This Mm. is not a terribly well paid profession. So, you know, there that is that is a kind of typical number for people working constantly. For me, the goal was I because I wrote my first book while doing that many doing 70 or 80 books a year, and I had to write that book kind of fast. And it took a massive toll. It was just way too much. And I 
promised myself that I would not write a second book under those same conditions. So Mm -hmm. over the course of, and that's why it's four years between books, over the course of those couple of years, I just started being very selective about the books I was taking, um, trying to bring my rate up to compensate for dropping books off, um, and creating that time so that I could, so that I could write. But now, now the next step is, as you're saying, work-life balance. Like for me now, it's still Mm -hmm. all work. It's just, Mm -hmm. there's writing and audio together. Like it's a better balance of those two, but the actual, uh, life balance is, is still like a never ending quest. Yeah. 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 I mean, I can't even imagine. I just want to say that I feel that because I honestly was crying in the floor yesterday about like, I'm always just treading water. I never feel like I'm getting ahead on anything that I'm doing. I don't feel good at anything. I feel like I'm just kind of giving half of myself to all these different projects. I wish that I could fully invest myself into one good thing and just be really good at it and feel really balanced and get good sleep and have like hobbies and things that I'm not trying to make money on. You know what I mean? So I just, I felt that from you. Like I, I get it where you're just kind of, you know, trying to figure out how to make that happen in your life. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, we're all kind of sold this, like you can have everything, you know, um, and I don't know, I, I'm just, I'm still, as I get older, especially in like my capacity to multitask and handle things. And like, as my memory starts to go, I'm just like, I don't actually think that's true. Like, how is that possible? Um, for me, it's like, I, I, I spent so much of my twenties, I think saying yes to everything because like, and even with the audiobooks, it was like coming from an actor mentality of you can't say no to work. If somebody mm-hmm. wants you for something, you have to say yes. Cause what if they never ask you again? And that's how you end up doing 70 to 80 books a year. Um, <laughs> and it took like seven years of doing this job, probably like full time and building my career to say, I actually, I think I can, I think I can start saying no, but it was scary. It was scary to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, we have, everyone will always tell you, there's always, you get those reminders. You know, my dad died very suddenly when I was 27. And that was like the first, you know, that first hit of life is short, I hope you're doing what you want to be doing with it. But like, how many times do we need that lesson? Yeah, I had this experience where I was doing like a ton of blog content for people. And it's that same idea. You are basically a working actor, by the way. And you're just trying to like get every project that you can and you want to deliver. And what if they never ask you again? So you just keep delivering, you know, content after content after content. And I've been going through my old camera reels from the years past. And I'm like, how was I doing like 60 projects in one month? And now I'm like barely like making (laughs) sense with just a couple of things with a couple balls that I'm juggling. So I, I think you do it because you know that it, that opportunity might not present itself again. And you're like, I do need money. I do need to pay my bills. I do like 
love working with this brand and maybe they'll hire me again, you know, that same kind of mentality. But I didn't really, when I think back on it, I didn't really have a very good life. Like I was just really hustling all the time. And so now I do have more time, but now I have more time to think about what I'm not doing. (laughs) See, that's the thing that'll get you is like the objective. I mean, whenever anyone says to me, particularly, like they use words like prolific or they use, you know, I'm, I'm just like, I don't feel that way. I feel like you don't see that you don't see the balls that are being dropped. (laughs) You know, you don't see the things I'm not doing. You don't see the days I don't get I don't, I just don't make it into the booth, or I just don't get words on the page. And like, those days feel like failures. And that is just such a unhelpful way to live. And I do think that coming out of the last couple of years, part of what has felt so relentless about that is like my one vice was travel. And when that went away, it kind of, I realized like just that I don't have any hobbies and that if left to my own devices, I will just work. And we're going on like two and a half years of this. And I'm kind of at a point where it's like, yeah, once this book comes out, (laughs) And this this whole interview just turned into therapy, but like I'm okay with that. The the balance is something we are constantly seeking. And I feel that from everyone in my life. And um that's why it feels like there's a tipping point. I think that's why it feels like people who are just opting out of a lot of the workforce and you know, like I'm I get it. I feel it. I think too with working at home, there is never really a period on your day because you're like, well, I could still do one more thing or I could just answer this one email or I could continue. I mean, with doing audiobooks, I would imagine you don't really have like a time. Like with photography, I'm like, oh, I can only shoot during this time. Yeah. But like with audiobooks, you're like, well, if I want to stay up late and do a late night recording, you have the opportunity to do that. So like setting boundaries for yourself has to be hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I try to, I mean, I really try to keep weekends. And by weekends, I just mean Sunday. I mean, see, here we go. It's like a negotiator where I'm like, (laughs) I don't do anything on weekends. And I'm like, well, that's not true. You work all day on Saturdays, but I don't respond to emails on weekends. (laughs) There you go. You set a boundary. (laughs) I set a boundary. Uh, well, I know that audiobooks originally were kind of a way to make ends meet while being an actor. And I would love, as we close out, what words of encouragement you would offer to your younger self when she felt discouraged about landing roles? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I I honestly say this to a lot of young actors when I'm asked to come talk to them or something. And, and one thing that I say is we encourage in this industry a kind of tunnel vision of like, go after your dreams, your dreams, your dreams, your dreams. And the problem in this context with that is that so little is in your control. And so if you are focused on really something that is almost entirely up to other people, you could be missing a lot of things along the way. And I'm one of those people who, if an actor, a young actor says to me, like, I got this opportunity to go, you know, make some money working at a camp or something for the summer, but it would take me out of being able to be in LA and like audition for guest star parts when they come up or something. I will almost a hundred percent of the time say, take the money, go have the experience. Mm. Because first of all, the experience will help you as an actor. And secondly, you never want to be desperate with this industry. So keep your eyes open because other opportunities will present themselves. And that kind of just singular focus on this 
this one thing I think is, um, it can be really hurtful in the long term. And so I, I mean, I was always kind of taking my advice. Like it was, it was something that I just started doing to fill in the gaps and to try to, you know, pay the rent. Um, but I loved it. And I recognized very Mm -hmm. quickly that I loved it. And I just always, I kept it going because I was like, if this ends up being what I'm doing, I will be happy. Mm. So I, yeah, I have a, um, I don't know. I'm just not one of those people who will ever advocate for the struggling artist. Something has to, you have to, you know, your art can only come out of difficult circumstances. Like I, I just don't, I don't, I don't subscribe. Yeah. I love that. I, I do want to end on a real high note because I think that whenever I interview people, I love to ask them what they're most proud of. And you've had a really incredible career, which you should be super proud of. And I'm super proud of you. And I would love to hear what you're most proud of with your career. Oh, wow. Um, that's such a good question because we don't ask ourselves that. We never do. We're always thinking of what else we're supposed to be doing or what else we want to accomplish. I think I'm very, I'm very proud of the fact that I had certain principles and I stood by them in my industry coming up. I mean, as a, you know, as a child, child actor hood is not, is not easy. Coming out of it is not easy. Reinventing yourself is not easy. And whenever I had an opportunity to take an easier road, I didn't do it. And I stayed really true to myself. And I think, you know, that is something I can be very proud of, even if it means that I didn't have the career I could have had or something like that. Like looking back on it now, all of that led to this, this really, this, this career and being creatively satisfied and being able to say with integrity that I I did it my way. And you did it well. And (laughs) we're so glad that you ended up in this space because you have kept us company through many, many difficult days, uh, especially in the last couple of years. And I want to thank you for being here, for sharing the space, for sharing a little bit of your heart. And I hope that our listeners will go out and get Thank You for Listening, which hits store shelves on August 2nd. So definitely get that book and, you know, connect with Julia. How can they connect with you? Um, I'm on uh, mostly Twitter and Instagram, and it's all just Julia Whalen. That's the handle. Well, I've asked Julia to stick around and do our quick bookworm challenge. So if you are curious about her reading life, which she has an extensive one because that's what she does for her day job, (laughs) be sure to join the Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash mom advice. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mom advice. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Thank you.